Welcome back to American Graffiti, one song at a time. I'm your DJ, Rachel Mummert, and with me today I have a co-DJ. Hi, this is Jarf of the upcoming Dazed and Confused 33 and a third. So Dazed and Confused, also one song at a time, and I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for being here. I'm excited to have you on to talk a little bit about American Graffiti. So for today, we are going to be covering the dance, specifically the snowball portion, the snowball dance portion of this dance, and covering the song Smoke Gets In Your Eyes by The Platters. So just to start it off here, um, what is your experience with American Graffiti? Is it a movie you've seen multiple times, or are you fairly new to this movie experience? I'd say fairly new. I, I've definitely seen it before, or it might have just been on in the background, but some of it was familiar to me. But it isn't one that I've revisited over the years. And so so it was fun to really watch it for this podcast in a more focused way and, and do a little bit of research and, and just think about it. How it influenced other movies, Dazed and Confused for one, but just this like way of looking at that era, the whole nostalgia for like the music and style. It's of the 50s, so I enjoyed it. I'm similar. I was fairly new. Previous to doing this podcast, I had not really seen it before. So I was glad to be able to get to sit down and, you know, watch it all the way through. And like you said, it's just neat. Even though, you know, not growing up in this time, it it does bring back a certain nostalgia factor, no matter what age or what time era you grew up in. You can always relate to this high school slash post graduating high school era. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely grew up seeing reruns of Happy Days. Oh, definitely. (laughs) And like you said, the soundtrack, I was excited to do that one song at a time because looking through the soundtrack songs, I was like, I recognized a lot of them and I'm like, yes. (laughs) Nice. Well, we were talking about this in the green room. You and Tierney and Doris have divided up the movie and I was curious If you've divided it up like Doris has act one, you have act two, etc. Or it was like each of you had particular songs that you really wanted to talk about. So you're going to kind of bounce around like a pinball between the three of you. What was your process? Um, Initially, it was going through and if any of us had a particular song that we really liked and wanted to cover, we kind of staked our claim. And based upon that song, we would formulate the schedule on that. For instance, I really love the song Chantilly Lace. (laughs) Mm, Me too. The big bopper, man. Yeah, I don't know why, but I I love that song. So I was like, um, I really want Chantilly Lace. So I got that song and some of the sections preceding that, and then it kind of... Kind of based on that, like I got like f- safe like five sections that include Chantilly Lace, and then after me comes like Tierney or Doris. 
So based upon any songs that we stake claim to, kind of determines what sections of the movie we cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So we each get a good portion of, you know, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. We each get a little bit of that, so... Nice. And that'll keep it interesting for the listeners, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we kind of did that with guests, too. We're kind of like, hey, you know, if there's any songs in particular you would like to be a guest on, let us know and we'll make sure we can fit that in for you. Yes, it's, I remember. And it's, I love the song Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, but I, mm-hmm. I didn't request this song per se. I just requested a song featuring Cindy Williams. Oh, good. Yeah. Because Laverne and Shirley, I mean, that's just the pinnacle for me. And so yeah. it, she didn't do a ton of other work. So this really feels like a gem to, to see this pre Laverne and Shirley, Cindy Williams. And I don't know how young she was when she made this movie, but she's a fine actor already at this stage in her career. She does a lot of nice, subtle things uh, w- with this role, which isn't like a super meaty role. I, w- I wouldn't say that any of them in the movie really are, with the exception of Richard Dreyfus, I feel like they give him the most to do. Yeah. Just her body language and, and in this scene, just jumping ahead a-, a little bit when she does really break and start to cry. Oh, I know. Completely believable and also protect Shirley at all costs. Yeah. So yeah. I, I really felt that. And a lot of her, like in a, I know in a feature section with when Steve tells off the, the teacher at the dance in a few minutes here, just her facial acting is great too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I know in this movie, I she is older than Ron Howard in real life. So I mean, her or her actual person is older than Ron Howard, and I just think it's really good. You know, you wouldn't really think think that she's uh, that old, much older. <laughs> yeah, because she's got that baby face. Oh yeah, and it is. You know, when you like you were saying about growing, you know, you grew up watching Happy Days. You know, watching this movie and having Ron Howard and like Cindy Williams, you just it automatically. Automatically brings those two shows to the forefront of your mind. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. And that was also what was tough for me about watching this movie because Ron Howard, or as he's credited in this movie, Ronnie Howard, which which tickled me pink, but <laughs> he's acting like a real jerk. Oh, definitely. And that was jarring <laughs> to see. Yeah, he's a lot different than <laughs> from the get-go when we meet him. You're just like, geez, oh, Pete's. You don't really like him at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I like about this section, when they get introduced by the um, by the lady at the beginning, that, you know, he, we find out Steve was class president, and we find out Lori is the head cheerleader. It's kind of interesting finding that out. I, I guess it's one of those things you never, they don't really specify any other point in the movie really that she is so it's like huh you know and she doesn't really have you know usually in movies if you're the head cheerleader she would spend the movie in like a cheerleader outfit or like yeah (laughs) i just thought that was interesting and she'd have some kind of scene with the fellow cheerleaders and you would see their dynamic where she's the queen bee and they're the wannabes but it's just it's just a passing mention just to let us know that they are high school royalty oh yeah 
And I like it because you can you could see how she would be a cheer. I mean, she's not all you know, you know, rah rah cheerleader, but you could see you know she has that spunk and that pep mm-hmm. to be a cheerleader. Yeah, great smile. Yep. Yeah, I I went through a, a thought process asking myself if I bought her as the head cheerleader and I did come out saying, you know what? I can see it. She she doesn't have the fake plastic spunk, but she mm-hmm. does have s- some like genuine charisma that you can imagine. Oh, yeah. And the confidence that made me believe that she could be the leader. You mentioned the announcer who dumps mm. this information uh, about their high school status on us. And, yes. and I just made a note about her because I really liked her vintage classes. Oh, I know. <laughs> her name is Caprice Schmidt. And American Graffiti is her only credit on IMDb. So I am very curious, uh, maybe one of your listeners knows something behind the scenes of how, how she came to be in that role, if she was somehow also involved with the production somehow, or it's just one of those things that it's like struggling actor gets that one break, doesn't go anywhere from that. Uh, Again, I appreciate her glasses. Uh, My wife has always collected vintage glasses and and way back to where we, when we met in college. So she, she has sported uh, several different pairs over the years, um, each one cool in their own way. So I just, it's really given me an eye for that. Yeah. And I wear glasses myself most of the time. And it's, I always see, you know, like, like you said, you you have an eye for that. It's like, yeah, I always want to do that. It's just having the confidence to be like, I'm just gonna just go for it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it's an attention getter. Yep. So noticing her glasses just made me think about the costume design of the movie overall. Mm-hmm. And I, and this is episode 16. So I don't know if that is something that you've already touched on. Not a whole lot. No, at least I haven't in my minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. But the nature of recording, and I'm sure you don't do a debrief every time where it's like, okay, these are all the things I talked about. So <laughs> if this is ground that's already been covered, then I apologize to the listeners. And I plan on listening too. just peek behind the curtains. At the time of recording this, none of the podcast has been released. So (laughs) (laughs) so future me may have already heard this myself as a listener. (laughs) But the costume designer is Aggie Gerard Rogers. And she also worked on Return of the Jedi and Willow. And she got an Oscar nomination for working on The Color Purple. So another period piece. And then two of my favorites from the 80s, Beetlejuice and The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. So that that is quite a resume. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And each of those you think about. I mean, I've not seen all of those movies, but the ones I have seen, it's like, yeah, you you definitely remember the, you know, the costuming and those and they're very excellent. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. She she did concede that with Jedi, the costumes for most of the characters had already been established. Uh, okay. So I thought that it was fair of her to give that caveat. Yeah. Uh, but the story of how she came to do the design for American Graffiti is kind of fun because during her interview with the production manager, James Hogan, and director George Lucas... 
They discovered that she graduated high school the same year and only 20 miles away from where he himself graduated. And so she brought this understanding of the script and the vision Lucas had. And the kind of emblematic quote is... James Hogan, the production manager, asked her, do you know anything about dragging the mane? And she said, my sister has a 54 Ford with no door handles. (laughs) So she's pretty rock and roll. That's awesome. (laughs) She was meant to do the the costuming. (laughs) Right? So did you want to get into Smoke Gets In Your Eyes? Yeah, yeah, we can go ahead and get into the song by The Platters. They were mostly popular within like the late 50s to early 60s. Um, They were signed by Mercury Records. Their breakout hit was Only You, which once I heard that, I... That song pops into my head, and I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, I know that one. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1990, the original Platters. And what I found, because I was just curious about the song title itself, and I was kind of looking through the lyrics, too, once I read it, and it makes sense. Because it's like it's a slower song, you know, um, a little bit romantic. But -hmm. it's also about smoke gets in your eyes, about like losing love, losing romance. And the saying of, you know, Mm. blaming your tears on smoke getting in your eyes. Like, so I'm like, okay. And reading through the lyrics, I'm like, you can definitely read that it's about losing losing a romance, losing a love. And it's perfect for this point in their lives, high school romance, so many big feelings. Yeah. Everything feels like either the end of the world uh, or the most amazing thing. And so... Especially at the point they're at with, you know, making one half of them making that leap into, you know, am I going away to school? Mm -hmm. Are we going to stay together? Or in their case, dating other people, but... (laughs) (laughs) And just the attitude or the um, atmosphere of those two in this specific section, it fits perfectly with how they are (laughs) here. Absolutely. So one of the things that I was curious about is when the song was released and how that lined up with the timeline of the movie. Okay. So Smoke Gets In Your Eyes was a number one hit Mm -hmm. in 1958-59. Yep. And according to what I read, American Graffiti is set in 1962. Yeah, yep. So I thought that made sense as the slow dance song for the Homecoming King, Captain yeah. of the Cheerleader, to be a song that was a hit three years ago, because that that is probably a song that they dance to at other dances, and you don't expect like the, the high school DJ or band to necessarily be only playing all the hits of that year. At least mm-hmm. that wasn't my experience. Yeah. And (laughs) they probably necked to this song at some point. (laughs) So looking at it from their perspective, I'm sure the song holds a lot of memories. And to try to relate to that experience, I looked at the year that I graduated high school, which was 1992. So if I was in their shoes, what would be the slow dance song that they would play at my high school dance? So I looked at... 
the number one slow dance songs from 1989. Okay. And I I had one runner up and then one that felt like a perfect match. So <laughs> it's, uh, both of these were number one for several weeks in 1989. Uh, so they would have been ubiquitous songs of that time in my high school career. And one of them was Lost in Your Eyes by Debbie Gibson. So that's sentimental enough, but it doesn't quite tick off all the same boxes as you were talking about, you know, love gained, love lost. But the other one was Right Here Waiting for You by Richard (laughs) Marks. And if you were making Jarf's American Graffiti Jarf graduating high school and, and getting ready to go to college and that the theme of that song and this whole conflict that okay one person is going to go away to, to college and these like being a dodo and saying oh we should see other people and the other one is going to be back home waiting so yeah that would definitely be the song. I was trying to think along those lines too I just I'm trying to because I was in band through high school and mm. like you mentioned, homecoming, we always had, you know, the home, you know, when we presented the homecoming court, we would always have a song we played. Um, I know we had Chicago <laughs> for one of them. Um, I think Unchained Melody we had, which that was not very fun to play. <laughs> <laughs> and probably because of the movie Ghost, right? Yeah. Because it had a real resurgence with that. Yeah. And Can You Feel the Love Tonight? We had that as well. In uh, terms of like slow dances, I know Casey and JoJo, the All My All My Life was a very popular one. I graduated in 2004. Okay. Um, Enrique Iglesias. <laughs> and it's just funny because, yeah, you know, you think about that and it does bring you right back to uh, <laughs> dancing in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> dancing in the gym. Yeah. yeah. So listeners, if you want to play along at home, take the year that you graduated subtract three years and then wikipedia has a very handy list of all the billboard charting hits of that year and how many weeks they were number one so if you need a little something to jog your memory and and get you back to that sock hop in the gym moment (laughs) there you go speaking of dancing and slow dancing in the gym she calls this a snowball dance which i was curious I found that a snowball dance is where we get like the couple of Steve and Lori. So they lead off the dance uh, and they're supposed to dance together for a, a little bit and then each split off and dance with others until eventually everyone is splitting off and dancing. So everyone dances together. However, we get in this section, they don't, you know, they're so <laughs> mm-hmm. intertwined. They're very... They have, they're having an intense conversation about their relationship. Yeah. So they I mean, don't. they didn't even, they didn't hear any of the announcements. And then no. when they train the spotlight on them, they're like, oh, wait, what? What were you saying? Oh, and then <laughs> big smile like, okay, it's our time to do the dance. It's not awkward. We're going to dance in front of the entire school. I just, I love watching that because it, <laughs> funnily enough, it reminds me of, you know, going somewhere if you're, and I'm going to say mom, because usually it was the mom, you know, if you're in trouble and you're going to like a family function 
And, you know, on the way over, it's like, you know, you're chewing, getting in trouble and chewed out. Then you get somewhere and it's like, then it's like smile. You know, you have that smile on your face. It's like, oh, crap. People are, you know, we're out with other people. Smile. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love how she's like, just smile and come on. <laughs> and once they start dancing, she gets that really angry look and she's like, no, listen here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, those are the little things that I was thinking of uh, when I talked about her physical acting and, and oh, the little yeah. subtle things that she does. She even gripped, you know, when they start, when she puts her arms around his neck, she kind of grip, you know, she gets that grip on it. Like, hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm serious here. <laughs> and I just like how we get a little more into their relationship. A l- just a little. We don't get like all the details, but we get a little, a little gloss over of how it, you know, started off and everything. So that was interesting listening to and just listening to <laughs> their different recollections <laughs> of it. Yeah, I I found that interesting. I didn't catch, and I don't know if you did, how long they've been together. I didn't either. I didn't catch that. But I was also wondering, what, if anything, is the subtext of what she's saying? Because what came to my mind is she's saying, you're being an idiot about this, let's see other people, and let me just remind you of the fact that you've been an idiot several times in key moments (laughs) throughout our relationship. If it wasn't for me, like making you see the light, like we might not even be together right now. Yeah. And that was interesting listening. Yeah. Because it's just like, you know, nothing would have happened if I wouldn't have taken the reins and been like, hey. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I guess it made me think of listening to her say that is it made me get a little feeling of maybe she had always been just a tad more invested in the relationship or maybe you know Steve at first was reluctant to commit himself to you know going steady with her mm-hmm. especially with her being you know his best friend's sister and maybe it you know felt a little weird to be you know dating her and we find out you know it's like you know it took him a while to even kiss her and stuff <laughs> yeah that does kind of shed some light on it but it's also kind of like you know maybe he didn't realize that's what he wanted until she made him realize realize that you know he really did want that want to date her it's like taylor swift says boys only want love when it's torture yeah <laughs> so would you well i guess it's being a being a female she talks about talking to her dad about <laughs> when she was oh, questioning. Oh, I thought that was real weird. Yeah. Especially in, you know, like we said, this was 1962. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, even it's like, I don't think my dad would be the first person I'd go to to be like, hey, why won't this boy kiss me? <laughs> <laughs> right. My dad would be like, nope, don't, don't want to hear it. Like, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Yeah. And and that's, I mean, 1962, so early 60s, still very much 50s-like. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets glossed over in this saccharine, nostalgic look at that period. Mm-hmm. It was... It was a very repressive McCarthyist era. So you you wouldn't it's a little bit tough to imagine dad 
as romantic wingman today, let alone in 1962. (laughs) If anything, I would think that if you did turn to your dad for advice, then he would do everything to undermine the relationship. Exactly. Yeah. It's just one of those things where it's like, you know, he's your dad. He's not going to think that any boy is good enough for you at this, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) And I kind of got the gist that he was kind of just reassuring her like, oh, he'll get around to it when he does. And it's like, that's a very dad response. (laughs) I think, you know, like, oh, it'll, you know, he'll get around (laughs) and secretly thinking, "Mm, hopefully never. (laughs) 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 Because I know when I, oh, I'm trying to think, when you're at prom, I think it was my junior year, that, you know, you always have the uh, pre-dance pictures and corsages and boutonnieres and all sure. that awkward <laughs> stuff, trying to pin the boutonniere. And for junior prom, I went with this guy I worked with and I just kind of got up the guts and I... Cause I had a, I had a thing for him. So I was uh, kind of like, okay, one day I just, you know, was like, screw it. And I just asked him, I'm like, Hey, you want to go to prom? <laughs> he said, yeah. And he came over and we were taking, you know, and my dad was outside, you know, doing yard work, quote, doing yard work. <laughs> but he always, you know, he just didn't want to see. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> So I have one prom related question. Okay. But before I forget, you mentioned that you were in the band. Yes. What instrument did you play? Trumpet. Oh, cool. Yeah. Sorry, that's a bit of a non sequitur. Oh, no. I moved past it too quickly for me to ask then. (laughs) So I apologize. It's a little bit disjointed, but I was just curious. So back to prom. We graduated high school 12 years apart. But even still, I'm wondering if you graduated early enough to be before this, what seems to be relatively recent phenomenon, at least it's a since social media is a thing phenomenon of the big splashy prom ask. I was just before that. I I remember seeing, you know, after graduate, you know, I I think it was, I'm I'm trying to think exactly when, I can't remember exactly when that became, I became more aware of that, but that was after my time in high school, which I'm kind of glad because I, I, I just, I'm just like, goodness gracious, if you do this for prom, what are you going to do when you actually propose (laughs) to somebody? (laughs) Calm down, just calm down. (laughs) Yeah. But again, I'm not a very, I'm just a very kind of lower maintenance person. I don't need a lot of hoopla. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I I always feel secondhand embarrassment for everyone involved in those yeah. big, especially ones that involve like multiple people, like when you rope all your friends to be to do like a flash mob <laughs> or yeah. or a choreographed dance or just just no, just ask. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure that we sound like curmudgeons saying I, this. I am a curmudgeon. <laughs> <laughs> I will freely admit that. <laughs> I guess just my final word on it is I think it is natural for some people to be theatrical in that way. So my cousin Melissa, she studied 
costume design at Yale. And whenever we have a family gathering, you know, now it is via Zoom, it's always a little bit of the Melissa show. And and that's just in her nature. So mm-hmm. I think that a big splashy prom proposal, marriage proposal that has its place if that is your intrinsic quality. But because it's become such a cultural touchstone, now I feel like people do it just because it's the thing to do. So I went to one of my coworkers' weddings, and they did the thing where the wedding court introduces themselves by do, doing some kind of, each one of them comes out and does some kind of special dance. And, and then they were all, they were wearing suits, but they were wearing chucks. And it's like, I know you, I work with you. You are very boring and super square. <laughs> Like, like you don't have to pretend that you have this funky flavor. So that's specifically what rubs me the wrong way about it. Yeah. I don't think we did an introduction like that at our wedding. But yeah, it would it would feel weird because I, you know, you always, I always want to imagine myself as, you know, like, oh, yeah, I, got, I have all the dance moves and I'm awesome. But it's like, <laughs> I know I'm not. I just know I'm not. So I'm okay with that. <laughs> I know I am not awesome. <laughs> and just thinking about prom and everything with girls, especially in this month. My- I don't want to sound mean about girls and stuff, but it's just amazing what they'll spend for like dresses and everything. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't know if I spent that much on my wedding dress. Oh my gosh. But it, it's, it's, it is what it is, I suppose. <laughs> but I, it's just funny to think about that now compared to like what we see here. <laughs> so we have like Lori with, you know, his letterman. I guess it'd be a sweater. It's not quite a jacket. Yeah, I like that costume touch. And I also, I was struck by how many extras they have in this scene. There are, yeah, there are a lot. Like, they're not cheating at all going with with a tight shot and then just sort of vague high school dancers, enough of them for you to get the sense that there's a lot. They just filled up the damn gym with a bunch of extras. (laughs) And I had read somewhere that, you know, you notice they're just kind of standing around Mm -hmm. at this point. But I read that they were, they really were expecting Steve and Lori to do the typical, you know, dance together and then break off and go dance with other people and you can kind of see from some of them if you watch them like they're kind of like okay wait they're still dancing together yeah i i saw somebody in the background just break off in there it seemed like they were deciding you know what i'm just gonna go dance yeah like we're gonna go dance together like we've watched this enough like we get it <laughs> that's one thing um as this dance goes on we'll see some moves some dance moves kind of of the era and that would be fun like i I said I'm not much of I'm not a good dancer really but it would be neat to learn the retro moves of the 50s and 60s <laughs> oh yeah yeah that would definitely be fun and like you were saying earlier you know this takes place in you know 1962 but we still have a lot of the influence and everything of the 50s and I know one of the first minutes we all covered at the beginning of the movie we talk about you know the setting and everything and we kind of talk about how we are or we are kind of in the mindset as a populace of being like decades you know the 70s the 80s the 50s the 60s but especially we're in 62 it's like you still it's, it's 
still very much the 50s. You know, the 60s haven't had time to develop their own culture or subculture yet. So it's very much mm-hmm. still, this is kind of really a lot still the 50s influence. Can't really just cut it off at 1960 to 1969 and be like, these are the 60s. <laughs> like, sorry, <laughs> right. 1959 is over. <laughs> and I just think that's an in- interesting thing to think about. Like, it's very much still the era of the 50s, like the culture. And we were talking about, too, as, you know, their dance goes on, they start out kind of arguing and then talking about their relationship and how it began and progressed. And we kind of, we get that realization kind of that as the song goes on and you, and that's what I love about having this song in particular at this moment as you absorb the song and the lyrics and then it kind of hits Lori all at once, I feel that, you know, Mm -hmm. this is it. This could be it, you know, like even though we said we're going to see other people, but still see each other too. It's one of those things where she's like, I don't, you know, it's like might not work out. Like I think it's going to, and just that emotion that she portrays and the tear, the tear, Yeah. And I I mean, you really see the transformation in her where they're having this light conversation and she's kind of ribbing him a little bit, but then it just kind of washes over her and she gets suddenly very serious and very sad and she's kind of buries her face in his shoulder. And and I love the way that this scene ends uh, with him continuing to be a complete dope and saying, <laughs> what's wrong? So like, how about the entire conflict that you've been having? Just for, forget it, Cunningham. Yeah. Like, you're way behind. And so she just says, go to hell. <laughs> but then she says it, but then also holds him closer at the same time. So yeah, it's it's just great. And just thinking of how in the beginning when he introduces that idea of, you know, since he's going away, they'll see other people and just how she tries to play it cool. You know, she's just like, yep, okay, okay. Like she doesn't make a huge scene of it, mm-hmm. but you can tell like it's not what she was thinking at all. But I think that uh, go to hell is a very valid (laughs) response to what's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is indeed. I think that was maybe all that I had. Were there other questions that you had or? I guess one question I like to kind of go over with guests is um, American Graffiti. We We have the main cast of characters. You know, we have Kurt, Steve. Terry slash Toad and John kind of as well. And, you know, it's those people represent, since this is kind of George Lucas's story of himself and, you know, his youth and growing up, he kind of bases each character on a certain aspect, a certain time point in his life. Mm. So is there a certain character that you identify with more than the others? Probably Richard Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. He has this quality, which I found true in my life, where he gets along with Ron Howard's character. He gets along with the gang of hoodlums that he falls in <laughs> with. And he's just kind of, he's socially pliable that way. Yeah. But then there's also a part of him that is 
really searching for something. And narrative-wise, he becomes fixated on Suzanne Summers, and he wants to find Suzanne Summers. But I think that that's just that is maybe like, I mean, he is actually a horny teenager. So I, some of it is genuine. But then also, since he's the one who's contemplating, should I really go to college? What's going to be my next step? I think it is more just like he he's trying to hold on to like this feeling of this time in his life. So I've always been a very nostalgic person. I remember I had a lot of big emotions about graduating high school. And it definitely was not the best time of my life. There's a line in Dazed and Confused where the character says, if I ever start referring to these as the best days in my life, remind me to kill myself. (laughs) Even though I had like my awkward stages in high school and, and, you know, it's just before you have a lot of your life figured out. Just because I was moving from that one era to the other, I was like, you know, listening to the end of the road by boys to men and and just thinking like, whoa, high school's over. It's so huge. And then I felt the same way when I turned 20 and I'm like, I'm not a teenager anymore. Like, what does this mean? So yeah, I I guess for all of those reasons, um, I found Richard Dreyfuss's character the most compelling. I would agree with that. Especially with, you know, like we said, you you said, like the searching for something or, you know, just holding, you know, having that nostalgic factor, especially like you said, you know, high school, moving on from high school. You're supposed to, in a, in a perfect world, you know, have it all figured out, your next step and everything, but it's you, you never can. <laughs> yeah. So in a way, you're kind of always searching for. Oh, yeah, absolutely never can. Like what when I graduated high school, I wanted to be a radio DJ. Mm-hmm. Like Wolfman Jack. (laughs) And didn't happen. Um, But I do have a podcast. So, I mean, sometimes you you get to live a little bit of that high school version of yourself's dream. You just find a way. And even after, I mean, you know, looking back on college and everything, it's like, I always think like, oh, if I went back and had college to do again, you know, most likely I probably wouldn't major in what I did before, but who knows, you know, it's like uh, hindsight. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But I agree with you, you know, with high school. It's like, I would never, I would never do it over again. I would never want to. I didn't have a horrible time, but it was just, I wouldn't do it again. (laughs) I was just kind of uh, in the middle. I wasn't like popular. I mean, I was... And still am like geeky, but I wasn't, I was just kind of a middle of the packer. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's because I went to a pretty small school. So there were 90 people in my graduating class. I never really saw that John Hughes style stratified social dynamic where like there's the geeks and they only hang out with the geeks and then there's the jocks and the, the like jocks date the cheerleaders which yeah. I mean my closest friends were definitely on the freakier side they were like the skaters mm-hmm. but I was also on the football team and in the school plays 
I could joke around with anybody in any of those different categories that was cool. Yeah. Or that was fun. That's what, yeah, a lot of my friends were, yeah, were like that too. Just able to get along with different groups. You know, like we said with Kurt, you know, he can interact with, you know, the pharaohs or Toad or, you know, it's like you can just kind of, you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Whichever group you encounter. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. As I mentioned, I enjoyed revisiting this movie. And one last nice little memory that this brought back from the song is it made me nostalgic for growing up listening to the oldies radio station in my old hometown. So shout out to Cool 94.9 because that's that's how I got introduced uh, to, to the Platters and lots of the other great artists on this soundtrack. Yeah. And did you have any uh, more plugs you wanted to introduce or plug here? Oh yeah, sure thing. So I'll, I'll do two quick plugs. I have a completed podcast, a Movies by Minute adjacent podcast, I think it's, it's fair to say. So it's a, a podcast breaking down the movie Joe vs. the Volcano, one minute of screen time per episode. And of course, with your co-host Tierney along the way. So uh, that is Joe versus the Minute. And, and that's the Growler Media Network. And as I mentioned, it's completed. So it's all there for you to listen at your own pace. You can binge um, if you're quarantined at home. And that was a lot of fun. We came up with some queer headcanon to add to the <laughs> the mix uh, and and like we dug into the soundtrack as well as the movie and then looking forward in the fall of 2021 i will launch dazed and confused 33 and a third and um, that is breakdown that movie like one classic track from the soundtrack at a time and just take a slow ride through a very American graffiti-esque kind of teenagers right before the summer, just after they've graduated, a bit of aimlessness. And and I'm really looking forward to that. And you can check it out on Twitter and Instagram at Dazed and Confused 33. And listeners for American Graffiti One Song at a Time can join our Facebook group, Mel's Listeners Drive-In. And that is on Facebook. And we also have Twitter and Instagram groups as well. So I just want to say thank you again to Jarf for joining us for this section of American Graffiti. Thank you. And listeners, join us back here tomorrow for more American Graffiti One Song at a Time. He's really fast, isn't he? Oh!